All right. We apologize for the delay, but we are ready to start tonight's session. Let's see. If you are already on, go ahead and like and share the session. Uh, this is our March edition of ABM Talks, a collaborative discussion. And tonight we have our guest, uh, Mr. T. Smith with SAG Long. And so what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a moment and just kind of give you a background on Mr. Smith before he actually comes on. It says attorneys T. Smith started uh, Smith Attorneys Group at Law PC um, after gaining keen legal skills and experience as Deputy Chief of Litigation and Director of Operation for Manhattan New York Trial Firm. And so I met Mr. T. Smith when I was in an Alabama State and marching band and everything. So we crapped the band together and had all that good fun, as he says, snapping and driving when uh, we were extremely angry getting up at four o'clock in the morning and everything. So um, I'm going to bring him right on and we're going to go ahead and dive into tonight's session. Mr. T. Smith, let's see if we can get him on. Here we go. Let me get in the camera view. What's going on, man? How are you, brother? Can you hear me well? Yes, sir. I can hear you good. I can hear you good. How about you? Oh, awesome, man. I can hear you and see you. Awesome. Look, at first it was too dark. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> we worked right. it out. A little glitches, but we managed. Exactly. Yes, sir. Okay, but um, yeah, so we have T. Smith, and so he's an attorney. And um, I have had the pleasure of knowing, uh, knowing him for about, uh, let's see, we crapped in 07, so a little bit over 16 years now. Yeah, wow. Yeah, hey, I think it's been about 16. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so um, this uh, segment of a collaborative uh, talk is really to actually just give people the benefit of knowing that there are sources out there that can assist them in their aspects of ministry and their aspects of business, as well as any legal advice that um, they would potentially need personally when it comes to actually like family law, um, uh, estates and all that good stuff. Mr. Um, T, I, I can't call him Mr. T, but T uh, is an excellent source and resource for that uh, information. Um, He's actually um, helped me and assisted me in a lot of business decisions that I had to do uh, where um, I'll, and I'll share a little bit on that later. And um, yeah. and I was able to see why he stated what he stated. Uh, but basically, you know, a lot of times in life as entrepreneurs or as visionaries in general, we will sit there and, you know, just try to recreate the wheel or just try to um, make some executive decisions simply because we're in charge or whatever the case may be. Um, but it basically, you know, Mr. T is at an excellent source for all the information that you need when you're dealing with itinerant ministries, when you're dealing with setting up contracts, whether it's actual musicians um, and everything. So basically even for us musicians, he's actually a musician himself. And so he'll be able to share some and shed some light on some things that we encounter dealing with churches and different things when it comes to salary and everything that you need to know. So I'm actually going to see if anybody has sent any questions. 
feel free. You're able to comment questions and everything, or you can actually text them to the number scrolling at the bottom, which is 270-569-2949. And right now we don't have any currently. And so what we're going to do is go ahead and shift to the graphic where we talk about, we're going to actually be talking about on tonight. So overview of tonight's session is to talk about business, which we deal with the formation and the importance of that, uh, council, branding, that we have information that he's able to shed light on regarding nonprofits and 501c as well as 501c3, entrepreneurship in general for us as creatives, musicians, uh, itinerant ministers or preachers, evangelists that travel and share the gospel, as well as contracts, negotiations, and drafting, um, general information regarding ministry and clergy. Of course, got to have information on bylaws and charters and governances, uh, mm -hmm. crisis management, which is something that we don't talk about a lot at all. Um, and then as well as compliance matters when it comes to entertainment. Um, and basically, Mr. T, he actually got his initial degree in business industry law, correct? Alabama State. Correct. Yeah. I left and moved back to Columbus by that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so we're going to go ahead and get started. And so my first question to you, T, is when it comes to business formation, you and I had this discussion ourselves a couple mm -hmm. of times, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've even advised people to do so because we always know that it depends on a person's budget what right. they're able to do and how they're able to go about starting a business and different things of that nature. So one thing that I brought to T, I think about half three years ago uh, when I first started at LLC was that, hey, I came across, I think at the time it was LegalZone. Mm -hmm. And then you have North Register Agent. You know, you have all of these different companies that actually assist you with starting your business. And they're good. Okay, they, they are good because they get the job done. And I believe those are the exact words that T gave me when I called them is that, hey, they get the job done. But there are some detailed information and things that as attorneys and lawyers, they're able to assist you. One thing about those uh, larger companies and corporations, they will assist you with starting your company. And it is legit. They do everything right. The thing is, you are receiving a blanket solution for what you're saying that you're trying to be intentional and unique at. That's the best way I can explain it. Um, you're going to receive the same service that everybody else receives. And so it's not specifically detailed or charter or even written when it comes to your operation, um, standard operation manuals and all that good stuff in your articles. None of that is really detailed for your specific type of business and everything. So, T, if you could share a little bit about the difference between myself when I went to LegalZoom and establish my LLC versus coming to someone of your nature. Yeah, man. And that's and that's a real great introduction. Um, first and foremost, thanks again for having me here. This is it's truly a pleasure. I can't believe it's really been 16, 16. years. Oh, man, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but to dive right in, you're you're exactly right. So I try to explain to people when they decide to go um, the the D do it yourself type of route, which is the legal zoom route, or the, it's, a, it's a number of rocket lawyers, a number of different uh, mediums that you can utilize to accomplish formations. 
and I try to tell folks, you know, it's like if you were to wear a T-shirt and jeans to everything, that's not always going to be your appropriate attire, right? And wow. that's kind of the service that you get with those companies. A shirt is a shirt. Jeans are jeans. They're both clothes. You're, you're covered. So you're appropriate in that sense as if you're not walking out in the public naked. But right. you won't wear jeans and a T-shirt to a gala. You're not going to wear that to a wedding, hopefully. Hopefully you're not wearing that to church or, or an interview. Right. So what I'm giving these examples for are illustrations to understand that your business is more unique than just a t-shirt and jeans. There's many different avenues that your company and needs your company may have. And the best way to make sure that you build the proper vehicle to house all of the greatness that your company uh, encompasses is to sit down with a business lawyer who's versed in those various areas of law and business structure. Uh, because, you know, one, again, the downside of those uh, is they try to create a cookie cutter template for every situation and businesses legally are viewed as being individuals and as we know as humans each individual is unique not every individual is the same we all hopefully have arms and legs and ears and noses but we all have that unique piece about us that makes us inherently different and that goes the same for your business so you need to build that structure uniquely and um, and inherently different if you're going to have a unique and inherent result that's different from other businesses. Right. Absolutely. And so when, when you when you talk about the unique structure of that, what would one experience? I, I can give the, the, the I guess the side of LegalZoom or so to speak, and it's nothing against LegalZoom or any other um, company that we mentioned. It's just showing the difference between the two. And so one thing that I did receive was an actual booklet. And I could tell that they just plugged my name into the different fillers. And that was good because what did it do? It signed off by the state. It was official. I was on listed with the Secretary of State for Georgia and now Kentucky um, and everything. And so the thing is, as I stated, they didn't do anything wrong, but there was a a distance. It wasn't that personal touch. And so even when it comes to the formation documents and stuff, it was just the same. And so even when I moved from Georgia to the matters of Kentucky, it was the exact same document. It was written the exact same way, even though my business had scaled from just being media and productions to actual consultant and creative agency, everything was exactly the same, you know? And so if they were to sit down with uh, someone as such as yourself, a business attorney, what difference would they see when it comes to the matters of setting up their business? What are some of those perks and everything? One of the first things that I sit down and talk with every client that we have is what are your long-term goals of your business? Because that's really going to tell me what structure we need to build for you. And that's the the best benefit that you get with speaking with a live attorney and someone like Mm -hmm. me who's experienced in this in, in a multitude of different states is I know the right questions to ask you because you don't know the right questions from a legal perspective. This is why we go to law school. This is why doctors go to medical school. And so we can have specialized knowledge and to understand the inner workings regarding business formation, how business structure plays a part into 
employment law or labor law mm -hmm. or plays a part right. into business and financing, also secession and estate planning, um, also fundraising. You know, all Absolutely. of those aspects of law all kind of intertwine. They have various level of intersections. But if you don't have the right structure in place, you may completely miss some of those intersections. And that could be a costly mistake down the road. It may, like you said, you know, you go to these companies, you'll get a, a article of organization if it's an LLC, or article of incorporation if it's a corporation, and you may even get your governing documents. But what happens when you decide to grow? What happens when you decide to hire that first employee? Or you decide that you need to get some funding and you need to go to a bank or you're looking for investors. And when they see those documents, they're going to know, okay, this is a legal zone business. That's yeah. not going to look as favorable yeah. as them having security of knowing, okay, here's an attorney that sat down and thought out the, the roadmap of this business. And now I know that this person has somebody they can go to to make sure that our interest is protected if we're going to give you this money. Because one of the Absolutely. two things, first two things the bank is going to ask you when, you when you go for business financing is who's your lawyer, who's your accountant? First two questions. Mm -hmm. The answer to that is I don't have one. Don't expect to get those dollars. Yeah. <laughs> all of all it's of these. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, our firm exactly. is privileged to represent a number of high earning individuals. And one of the things that we do is we help them uh, invest in other businesses. So we do diligence. If we know if they come to the table and they don't bring a lawyer, the conversation is over, automatically over. Because we now know that you don't take your business serious enough to have invested into the professionals that you have to have. At a certain right. level of operations, you have to have an attorney. You have to have an accountant. You have to have a business advisor. These are necessities. No multi-million dollar business operates without those three key individual professionals. So that's one of the biggest benefits that you get from coming to us or coming to an actual business attorney is we're able to forecast and see where your business is now and where it's going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, and so on and so forth. And we set you up with the with the ability to grow into those spaces so that you can have that successful company and entity. And so one of the key things that you stated is the matter of forecasting. And a lot of times we don't do that, you know. Uh, we write a business plan, and then uh, typically if you're using a template, because I did when I first started as a sole proprietor, um, it stated it was optional for me to do the five-year plan. You know, right. uh, They just wanted to make sure that I had uh, your target market, uh, your target audience, and uh, basically really what you were going to sell. Define what you're going to sell and define who you're going to sell it to. And they would accept that, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. But as we know that things are evolving and uh, the requirement for funding, especially that, because that's a whole other subject itself, uh, right. the matters of forecasting your business is imperative simply because you got to show something to even investors in order exactly. for them to invest in your company and everything and for them to actually be able to, like you said, take the risk of supplying funds. And not all the times is that investor looking for um, funds back. They may right. just be looking for exposure. But my thing is, if they see that you're in a legal matter, you know, that kind of 
makes it a little bit shaky in regards to the matters of if they will be willing to invest in that, especially when it comes to if you have an attorney or legal represent representation that can assist you. And so, uh, again, that's on the matters of form um, setting up the, the legal structure of your business for a formation. And so I will go to even say that you, you got to have somebody that you can call. You mentioned about the, the matters of business, um, a business advisor. And so that's where counsel comes in. OK, and of course, scripture tells us in regards to the matters of and in, in the the, um, the safety, their safety in the multitude of counsel. And so that's what you want to make sure that you establish as a business owner, an entrepreneur. And, and the thing is, even as creatives, you want to surround yourself with individuals that's not always going to tell you yes to everything that you do, uh, right. because everything that we do is not perfectly done. And so you got to have that person that's going to see beyond what you're trying to present, as well as uh, actually challenge you to give your best at every single thing that you do. OK, uh, another thing that we deal with is branding when it comes to business. And so that kind of types in, types into the matters of um, copyright and compliance matters. I've dealt with that a lot, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to building contracts and different things for clients. And then you're designing logos or designing, you know, catchphrases and stuff like that. You have many ministries and, you know, I share my own personal experience, um, the, the phrase crazy faith by Michael mm -hmm. Todd on uh, that whole series, it blew up and is, I'm, I'm, I have not searched the numbers or whatever. Um, but I know at least two to three years before that I had created a shirt design that said crazy face with some blue and pink, crazy writing. Um, but because I did not have the understanding, <laughs> you know, I missed that opportunity, so to speak, when it comes to the matters of, you know, properly copywriting or registering a brand and stuff like that. And so, Again, you know, it's important to have people on your team or at least people that um, you can call as a resource, a guide, an advisor to help you navigate when you're doing business, when you're doing ministry. Um, there are so many people that, you know, have ministries that are struggling, whether it's with administration, whether it's dealing with volunteers. And um, I tell people all the time, even though you're dealing with volunteers, there's still a level of accountability that has to be there regardless of what. And so when we type into the matters of branding, when it comes to um, entertainment, not so much as the matters of concerts and everything, but when you're dealing with the matters of logos, when you're dealing with the matter of imagery for clients and stuff, what are some of the things that you're actually going to kind of advise them to look at before they even sign a contract to <laughs> sell a brand or whatever the case may be? Yeah, brand protection is is a very extensive part of our our practice um, because what business owners don't understand, and, and I see this a lot when I'm dealing with ministry and clergy members. Mm -hmm. Ministers have they they come up with catchphrases all the time, and they yeah, yes. I, mean, I can just I can think of a boatload of phrases that I've heard pastors and and prophets and evangelists say over the years, and some of them have stuck, right? And some of them have found their way into the um, into the music industry, into the movie industry, on the uh, spiritual and secular side. And I know that a lot of those leaders didn't have the know-it-all to protect that. 
And that's and that right. happens really common, especially when we're talking entertainment on, on the secular side. We've all heard the stories of, oh, well, I don't own my publishing or I, or I don't own my music or or if I if I would have trademarked that catchphrase bling bling, where would I be now? You know, <laughs> you know so that, that's something that we we try to educate our clients on is when you're talking about building a brand. It's not just the business structure. It's not what you're selling. It's also the goodwill and the imagery that you have to the public. And that sometimes there, there's a couple of clients I can think of right now whose value isn't even in the product they sell, but the image of the trademark that they own. Mm-hmm. They literally just license their trademark and they're making a lot of money, we'll say. Right. <laughs> So, so that's something that we try to educate our, our entrepreneurs on and our ministry leaders is understanding that this is another avenue, especially for ministries. This is another avenue that you can capture funds that won't violate the 501c3 um, limitations, uh, because sometimes when we start to go down the, the, the ministry and clergy route, we make the mistakes of thinking that the 501c3 is a blanket license to write a blanket check. And that is absolutely not yeah. the case. Uh, one thing that you didn't hear uh, good brother Mike refer to on my resume is criminal defense. <laughs> so wow. what I don't do is <laughs> if you violate that 501c3, don't call us. <laughs> we come get you out of jail. We are not a criminal defense firm. Uh, I'm not afraid sure that to do that for you. You know, right. <laughs> you know, our job is to make sure that you stay in those compliance on the state level and the federal level so that you don't right. you never get to that point. Um, so this yeah. so, so branding is a great opportunity where churches can make up revenue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so and, and that's one of the things that I, I did not know. Uh, initially getting to administration and just ministry, different things of that nature was that. Uh, there are other uh, formations of nonprofits. Right. And so typically when you come into the matters of ministries and stuff and they're trying to do things in the community, they automatically think that they have to be a 501c3. And that's not always so. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have other options as far as developmental uh, corporations mm-hmm. that are geared towards actually helping and developing the corporation. Uh, I mean, not the corporation, but the community mm-hmm. that they're serving and different things of that nature. And so when you come to the desiring to tap into government funding, uh, when they're mm-hmm. desiring to start an after school program or start a, a um, I don't know, a, an initiative that's going to assist them, you know, what would be the first thing that they need to do? Besides uh, understand and know what they what they desire to accomplish as far as vision. The very first thing they need to do is call call us. And the reason why, and I'm, and I'm not saying that pridefully, is because mm-hmm. what we have to understand is there still has to be a separation of church and state. That's in right. our constitution. <laughs> you know, that's that's just law. <laughs> right. So exactly. that the, the church or individuals in ministry or in religious based organizations who plan to do something that's not traditional to a, a, a traditional house of worship. You really need to know those parameters, how to navigate that. And the other thing behind right. that is just because you're a nonprofit or you come from a nonprofit background 
doesn't mean that the different avenues that you may want to pursue requires you to be a nonprofit. It may be more advantageous for you to be a for-profit entity. But we won't know that until you sit down with us and we talk and you give us the vision and the plan, and then we can start to build the roadmap into how to successfully accomplish that goal. And so that's why I think that that's the best first step is to schedule a consultation, have a conversation with us so we can get an understanding of where you're trying to go, and then we can build the vehicle for you to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when you when you deal with um, let, let's kind of I'm going to stick with this ministry standpoint real quick, simply because I know that um, there has been several questions uh, when it comes to it, when developing that that nonprofit organization, um, say, for instance, if you want to just kind of you're not a full fledged church, um, mm-hmm. what would be the difference between the matters of establishing the 501c3 or just the just a general nonprofit at that point simply because I know there are a lot of people that have nonprofit movements or they're actually doing things in the community that will really serve as a nonprofit but they actually have it tied to their LLC which is for profit and so what are some of the dangers of that or what would be the first step to separate the two other than calling yeah. you all that's a <laughs> That that actually is a very commonly asked question. So I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. One thing that I, I want everyone that's watching to understand is you must have autonomy between a nonprofit and a secular for-profit organization. Now, there are some exceptions to every rule. Uh, I don't recommend that you take that lightly and think, oh, well, maybe I uh, maybe I fall into one of the exceptions. The only way you're going to know if you fall into one of the exceptions is to really talk with an attorney or talk with someone who's a professional in the nonprofit space. Um, but if you are doing things that are truly for profit, then that particular entity structure has to be set aside and, and done one particular way. If you're truly doing something that's charitable, then a charitable organization has to be formed in order to make sure that and they have to be kept separate because another thing that people don't understand is you can't own an individual can't own a nonprofit. so when when people say oh yeah i own a church or i own a nonprofit organization that that's not true you cannot own an individual cannot own a nonprofit. they can be a founding member they can be a a director they can be a trustee um, but they cannot be an owner and the reason for that is the the facts of the, the law under the nonprofit exemption under the IRS code, um, it allows for you to have these tax exempt statuses for the benefit of the community or for the benefit for the cause that you serve. So if you were to dissolve that organization, you can't dissolve it. And in that, those, those assets right. of the business, from you, those assets typically have to be given away or sold to other nonprofits or transferred in some way so that those funds are able to still be dispersed to the crowd or to the market that you're targeting as your charitable contribution or, or, or occurring event. So that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that I want to make sure that people understand. So and oftentimes we we mesh those concepts of for profit and non for profit. And they right. there are some areas where they align, but most of the time 
they're going to have vastly different operational structures. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, so I learned something tonight. Definitely didn't know that because, you know, I know a handful of people. Um, and, and I guess that would come into the matter. So as far as the ownership for the nonprofit, that would, you know, require a trust of some sort or uh, some other corporation or um, what would you say that would need it to be in order to own that or govern that? Say that again. I want to make sure I understand the question. In regards to not being able, uh, a person cannot own a nonprofit. And so they'll start a nonprofit thinking that they sit in the director seat, which, you know, assumingly they would. However, they literally take ownership of it. And I think that's where we see people actually getting in trouble with the misappropriation of funds and stuff because they're nonprofit and they're treating it like it's really a business in a sense. And so what would what would need to form the nonprofit? What would need to be there? And I understand that certain things can't go all the way into detail because they were classified as a consultation. (laughs) Right, right, right. But I can give you the high level. So so the high level is, you know, every nonprofit must have either a trusteeship or a directorship. And what that means is if you have, and and it's it's really an expansion on, on the words. So either like even when you think of um, colleges or universities, so we'll use the Lester's Alabama State University. Uh, yes, sir. The individuals that operate the day to day operations of Alabama State who gives that order are the trustees. And the trustees right. I believe, are made up of the governor, the president of the university, um, a number of trustee individuals from the community. They make up a trusteeship, but then you have entities such as, let's say, Goodwill, for example, a nonprofit, very well-known nonprofit. Their directorship, exactly the same thing, except they call themselves directors instead of trustees. Trustees, right? Gotcha. <laughs> so those individuals are the folks who give the direction of of the nonprofit. And I want to backtrack a little bit. The reason why you have trusteeships and directorship is because at the heart, all nonprofits are first corporations. Gotcha. That's what you have to understand. When I do a filing for a S corp or a C corp, it's exactly the same filing as if I was doing it for a nonprofit. The only difference is you elect for it to be a nonprofit and then you take it a step for, for, uh, further to mm-hmm. get the exemption, the tax exemption through the state or through the IRS on the federal level. So that's something that people have to understand is all nonprofits, organizations, or foundations are first corporations. And then those corporations have additional steps that you must take in order to fully capture the exemption status. Did that answer your question? It does. It does. So no LLC. So LLC established and they say, hey, we're going to have a nonprofit under our umbrella. Right. right? That's 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 almost when you do that, (laughs) you can almost guarantee that you will be getting a knock at the door from the Internal Revenue Service (laughs) uh, because you're violating the IRS code. (laughs) Yeah, gotcha. Now, there are ways again, there are ways for organizations, for for profit entities to have a nonprofit um, community extension. For example, everyone has heard of Ronald McDonald House. We know that Ronald McDonald House is a 
is a extension of McDonald's Corporation. But the difference between what McDonald's Corporation and Ronald McDonald House are doing is one, they've got tens of thousands of attorneys to make sure that they're doing it right. right. <laughs> That's the number one thing. And the number two thing is there's there's an autonomy there. There's right. there's an autonomy. And then that's considered a nonprofit foundation versus a nonprofit organization. They're starkly different. Perfect. And if you want to different, set up a consultation, I happily walk you through it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Look, I was just getting ready to put the plug in there. <laughs> Visit Saglaw, you know. Um, there you go. There's <laughs> a QR code there. And so directly to T Smith's um website, Saglaw PC. And as he stated earlier, uh, they he is licensed and able to uh, operate what he does in multiple states and everything. Uh quick quickly if you could give those uh states out that you are actually operating in, brother. Yeah, so we operate in New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Illinois, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, and California. I myself am specifically licensed in the states of New Jersey, Michigan, and Illinois. Good deal, good deal. Again, that's SAGLAW, S-A-G-L-A-W, PC.com. All right. So moving right along, okay, we kind of already touched in, typed into the, uh, the nonprofits and some of the compliance matters uh, for those that are on. If you have any questions, you are definitely free to put them down in the comment section. Uh, but you can also text them to 270-569-2949. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about, I know we've been talking about ministry off and on, uh, really for the bulk of the conversation thus far. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about musicians. Sure. And so uh, that that is or, or creatives in general. Uh, because now you have a lot of churches that are embracing the matters of having creatives on staff or contracting them and their firms to create content for them. Uh, and that's all dealing with the matters of exposure and or the matters of, you know, social media marketing and all that good stuff. And so uh, one thing that I over the past couple of years that I was very vocal about was there is a difference between saying that you have musicians on salary versus the matters of just simply you compensating them for their services. Uh, one thing that it seemed that our culture had an issue with was understanding if you say a person is on salary, that means whether they show up or not, at the end of the year, as long as their boots were on the ground, they are guaranteed a certain pay at the end of the year, a, to uh, a certain sum of money. And so I had a lot of people or a lot of churches and administrators and pastors that were stating that uh, they were going to put their musicians on salary, but then the musician didn't show up. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the musician was still expecting a check <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because you told him he was on salary. You know, you, you deal with all of that. And so my rule of thumb, I don't care if the, the uh, agreement or the act of service is for one penny there needs to be a country. And I think you and I shared the the conversation on that because it's important. You know, you have so many people that, you know, guarantee that they're going to provide a service and then you pay the monies and different things of that nature and then they don't deliver. And so if you don't have that documentation in black and white, then at that point in time, there's nothing that you really have to go to bat for 
or to even, you know, confirm that this is an agreement that was officially established so that you can actually either take those funds back and then get your service done and executed by somebody else or even have it where those individuals are able to, you know, be demanded that they fulfill that and everything. So um, let's let's see what what would you say when it comes to musicians, creatives or even staff members? Um, of course, job descriptions or what I like to call responsibility descriptions, especially if they're a volunteer. Uh, but when you're specifically talking about people on staff and you're hiring them, and I, I guess I could deal with musicians and singers and praise and worship leaders. Um, let's talk about how that contract needs to read. Uh, and I'll kind of give some points for you to touch on. And so, you know, for me, I state that, you know, in that contract, you also need to have the matters of paid time off, vacation. Um, I had a situation where a, a good friend of mine was a musician at a church and basically in his agreement, he was allotted a certain amount of days for vacation. Mm-hmm. And so went on vacation, made sure he secured a person to, you know, fulfill his role while he was gone. And so upon his return, uh, well, prior to him leaving, they weren't happy about him taking the vacation because it was right around the time they decided to do a revival. And right. so once that happened, um, you know, came back and it was like, you know, we no longer need your services. And so <laughs> uh, he reached out to try to get some advice of how to handle and stuff and some documentation and some templates and stuff that he can fill out. And, you know, that type of thing. So we assisted him and everything. Uh, but what we found out is that a lot of churches didn't understand the uh, the depthness of what they said that they were going to do. Um, I've ran into a lot of people that just say, oh, we got a contract or we're going to hire this and we're going to put this in motion and stuff. And they really don't have all the details that are needed to really, uh, really affirm that contract or even affirm that agreement, really. And so is there a certain contract or is there a certain um, thing that would need to be done? Of course, I would recommend them sitting with an attorney simply because you're talking about contract and documentation that's governing um, finances as well as services. And then my second question is going to be, or the second statement is going to be, what do musicians and creators or staff members do when organizations don't honor what they say they're going to do simply because of the matters of, you know, a personal and a a personal issue. I'll just leave it at that. No, I'm really glad that you brought that, that scenario up because I often advise both musicians and ministry leaders that you have to understand, you know, again, like a statement I made earlier, the 501 exemption is not a blanket license. You are only exempt from certain taxes, not all taxes when you have a nonprofit and where that line is drawn is employee versus contractor. That's the question you're asking. And that's where churches historically violate IRS rules. And when we hear about a lot of pastors getting in a lot of trouble and oftentimes have to go to the upper room and take a break for a few years in federal print, excuse me, but I digress, is because they make that misclassification between an employee and a contractor. Right. What that means is when you have an employee and you use language such as you're on salary, that means you're affording them employee rights. 
So that means uh, discrimination, race discrimination, age discrimination, sex discrimination, sexual orientation, um, right. all of the different oh, different <laughs> you get at, from a federal and a state level then applies when you classify them as an employee. And, and churches historically, the, the minority church yeah. doesn't do a good job of delineating and separating out an employee versus a contractor. Mm-hmm. It is my opinion that the musicians that I represent, praise leaders, creatives that I represent who contract with churches, you want to be an independent contractor. Now, that gives you some advantages and some disadvantages. Right. Job security <laughs> is not one of the advantages. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Job security is not one of the advantages. However, yeah. taxes are. Ta- taxes right. are. Because if you're considered a contractor and you're a musician, two things should have occurred. One, you should have already came to us. We should have set you up a business properly so you can sign your business with the contract with the church and not you in your individual capacity. Because if you do it in your individual capacity, we may not actually be fitting into the mode of a contractor. Set up a consultation right. and discuss that more. But... Yeah. When you're, when you're right, <laughs> when you're a contractor and your business is hired by this ministry to provide musician services or whatever services you're providing, sound and light, whatever the case may be, they're paying you. So if you're being compensated a hundred dollars, you're getting a hundred dollars through and through. There's no unemployment, there's no FICA, there's no none of the none of the employee taxes or payroll taxes they refer to would apply. So you're getting a hundred dollars dollar for dollar. What that allows the musician or the service provider to do is now my business is having this income, but I had to drive to church. I had to drive to this job. That's right. So now That's my right. gas is business expense. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I had to go buy that. I had to buy the brand new Motif 88, the Motif 8. I need I need the X8 or whichever is the newest one is now. Not as eight plus and the the time everybody's going for the. And I need the modules. I need, I I need the I need my patches. I need my cores. I need my sustain pedal. All right. of that is can be can be considered uh, equipment for your organization for your business, which means that's a business write off too. The name of the game is how can I create income while reducing my taxable liability. And you're able to do that if you're a contractor. Now, let's flip the other side. So let's say you do decide to become an employee and now you're on salary with the church. Mm -hmm. The church then, well, let me rephrase. The church, if they're going to operate in a legal capacity, they can't just terminate you. They usually should have the same rules and regulations that any other business would have. And that is some type of disciplinary process, write-ups, warnings, uh, ability, performance plans, you right, know, right. and of course, policies and procedures so that we understand what the metrics are that you're being judged by, right? Mm-hmm. Correct, exactly. There are states that are right to, um, right to work and um, um, at-will states, right? Yeah, you can be fired for anything, but if you're an employee, you may still, they can't fire you for discrimination. 
or for for a discriminatory act or an illegal act. And that's something that I try to educate ministry leaders on is to let them know Mm -hmm. you don't want to just say that you're putting these people on salary or that they're employees of the church, especially if you're not paying payroll taxes or you don't have a strong uh, policy procedure or operational direction for the church. So that kind of goes to your second question about the contract itself. Another issue. So I had a lawsuit, right? And this lawsuit literally hinged on the use of one word versus the other. And and that was employee versus contractor. Every time. Contract. Everything in the contract emulated a contractor. But the pastor didn't hire a lawyer <laughs> and went on Google. Oh, they, pulled contract, they pulled down an employee employment contract and everywhere where it should have said contractor, it said employee. Said Guess employee. what? They have to pay my client and they have to pay my wow. client a lot. And who else did they have to pay? The state and the federal government. So wow. when we're talking about getting contracts in place. You need you need a lawyer <laughs> to do it properly. At the at the Absolutely. very least, you need someone mm-hmm. that has HR experience so they can at least kind of tell you, hey, no, you probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you're going from the empl- uh, from the musician standpoint or the service provider, I always tell my it well, let me rephrase. It depends on who I'm representing. If I'm representing the church, <laughs> the church listen. Have our standard contracts, have a standard set of contracts that we can give out to any of our service providers. We can create the template for you. All you have to do is change the name. That's it. Don't change anything else. Change the name and the conversation right. and the date. That's it. Yep. If I'm representing yep. a musician, I'm going to say, listen, don't sign the church's contract. Bring your contract that we're going to draft yep. that's going to be in your favor. And nine times right. out of 10, the church is going to have a lawyer anyways. And so they're not going to know <laughs> what to look for. So right. it really depends on which side I'm representing. And I'm being yeah. very transparent with the people today because I want them to understand the true benefits of having that legal expert in your in your corner. People win. Life. People win <laughs> because they have successful people and competent people around them, not because right. they do everything. Exactly. Say that one more time. I lost you in that last statement, brother. Oh, I said successful people win because they have successful and competent people in their corner because they realize that they can't do everything themselves. They can't be an expert of everything. Right. And and that, you know, while we was in Chicago for the summit uh, with Light of the World Fellowship, you was in Michigan and everything. And so... um, one of the the classes it it talked about the matters of making sure that you had the right people at the table mm-hmm. and what that meant you know for years churches operated on the matters of whoever can help wherever they find their hands to do and that was okay for a season but because of the demand because of the requirement and the desire for excellent service or excellent solutions and products now we're at a situation or a a time of life where it's like okay i need you to have an understanding and i need you to know what you do and what you know to do i need you to do it well right because um at this point i found out that you're either going to waste time 
You're going to waste money. And then I will even go to the extent to say that you're going to re- waste resources. And when I say resources, I mean people. Because at a point in time, you'll get to the point where you're like, okay, um, you're an expert. And that was something else that they shared was that, you know, if they're expert and you've hired them or contracted to do what they do, then let them do that. Right. You know, Um, and so, you know, that where when you talked about the matters of, of course, being competent, but going back to the matters of contract. But you mentioned one statement that I find many people don't believe in is standard operating procedures mm-hmm. SOPs gotta have it you know I, I look at that as the the uh, appendix of visions I, I dare I dare say this Mike yes sir that SOPs are the Bible of operations that's the reality of it yeah. <laughs> I mean your vision says what you want to do what you're accomplishing what you're aspiring that's your task that's your goal sure the SOP is going to tell you how to do that. How to do it. It's it's the whole, it's, it's B through Y at that point. You know what I'm saying? Because that the thing is, I can say that I want a praise team. I can say that I want musicians. I can say that I want uh, a parking lot ministry. I can say that I want a K through 12 school. And that being the vision. And that's great. Run with it. I can't run with that, you know, without orders. You know, um, one of my previous, um, professions was uh, government contracting and procurement. And so we couldn't do anything unless there was a memo. The memo Mm -hmm. gave us our marching orders to execute whatever we needed to do um, and everything. And if you couldn't trace that memo, and I'll tell you how serious it was, I was responsible for the matters of keeping the memos in order or keeping the memos filed. And so though uh, the, uh, the supervisor was very meticulous or whatever the case may be. Uh, let's see if I can grab him again. Okay. Uh, and so basically, even though the, the supervisor was very meticulous about the matters of um, making sure things were filed, it really got to the extent of that, hey, you know, if you don't have the label positioned in the right way, that's a fine. And so they used to ask us all the time, hey, you know you can go to jail for this, right? And, you know, when you look at it in black and white, I can go to jail for not filing something, right? You know, and that type of thing or whatever the case may be. But seriously, it was really the matters of, you know, you got to be meticulous and make sure that SOP is in place, you know, and, and stuff. So the SOP is everything when it comes to how to accomplish the vision. Um, it's going to tell each department here, it's going to tell, you know, and it's not just ministry, it's even business. It's going to tell even your, 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 your workers or your employees or your contractors, independent contractors, um, how to operate within the realms of your business. Um, short thing real quick is that when I first started business, I just jumped into it. Right. Didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I just knew the Lord had instructed me to start a business. And I ran. Uh, I searched for mentors and they couldn't be found, you know, uh, and everything. And so but in in doing so, I learned a lot of hard lessons. And one of the lessons that I had to go back and grab was that when he told me to start the business, he told me to structure it in a specific way. And so one of those um, instructions was to to actually have a manual. Mm -hmm. Didn't even know what an SOP was, you know. 
at that point um, of how the employees or the contractors were to answer the phone. It had the color scheme of what we were to wear. It just, just, it really was, I was just looking, oh, this is just vision, vision, vision. But no, it was actually the strategic strategies and stuff that needed to be in place in order for you to get the solution that you, you know, uh, ideally wanted and everything. And I know we've been on there an hour. I just want to touch a couple more things, man. So you let me know if you got to go. <laughs> no, man, listen, this is this information that the people need to hear. And Absolutely. I'm going to stay on as long as we need to for them to get what they need to get. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And so, but, again, uh, if you have any you questions, go ahead. Said, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, you said uh -huh. something earlier about ministries used, having individuals that wanted to serve, and that was appropriate for a time and a season. And I'm here to piggyback. Even if we take away the time and the season from a spiritual perspective, yes, and we look at it from a pure liability perspective, the world has changed drastically. Right. Long right. gone are the days where individuals should be able to come off the street, come into the church, and immediately go into um, ministry or go into some type of operation. And here's the reason why. Churches get sued all the time for yes, hostile work environments. Mm -hmm. They get sued all the time for um, harassment. Assault and battery, sexual assault, a multitude of lawsuits. And that is because we can't just take people anymore off the streets and we know God is working on them. And we're going to let God do his thing, but we're going to let God do his time. <laughs> right. And put them right into daycare ministry. It's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. You probably yeah. shouldn't have an individual with multiple DUIs in your parking lot ministry. Not a good idea. Right. What I'm saying is the church has a level of responsibility that mm -hmm. it owes to its parishioners, not That's only right. from a, a spiritual space, but also from <laughs> a protection and liability and compliance in a nonprofit world operation space. Mm -hmm. So that's something that if if any pastors or ministry le uh, leaders are tuning in here, hear me clearly when I'm saying this. Take that duty seriously. There are a lot of lawsuits. There are a lot of people getting in trouble for doing things they think could possibly be right, but having the wrong people in place to do it. Right. Absolutely. And, and when you say that, you know, I, I think about the matters of even when I worked at uh, one of the private Christian schools, that was the first thing before they even accepted uh, or even offered you a position. You had to go through their ministry training and, and that talked about sexual harassment, how to handle the students and stuff of that nature. It's needed. And so my, my rule of thumb when we do like our summits and stuff is that especially when you're dealing with the youth ministry. Right. You got to you got to do background checks you have because to. Um, and it's, it's really every aspect of ministry, but specifically the kids. Just because we may have grown up together and we may be family oriented and have history and this is that and the third. 
whoever is over that ministry concerning children, they can't treat it as if uh, from a place of familiarity. Reason right. being because if you have guests come, okay, my nephew may fall and scrape his knee, and I may just bring him to me, make sure he's good, and then you know apply ointment and keep it moving. You can't do that with visitors, you know. The first thing they okay, why is his pants tore? Why why is he bleeding? Why is he hurt? Why didn't you come and tell me? You know why didn't y'all send a media uh, 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 a text to the media booth so they can put it on the screen? You know that type thing, and so that you know that opens the door for you know media ministries, administration, communications, and stuff to have those systems in place. You mm-hmm. may not be able to walk through the sanctuary and find that parent. For one, you may not even know who the parent is. He's a visitor. And all you have is a check-in of the matters of a name. But, okay, if there's a system in place, there are several apps and different things of that nature that we'll definitely talk about during the summit. Uh, <laughs> or if you, you know, set up a discovery call, we can assist you. Um, there we go. Come on. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, my thing is, is that, like, you would be able to actually assign a child a number. And so when they check them in and when they check them out, then the, the media team can actually scroll uh, a marking key down at the bottom. Hey, um, parent sign in 4636. Um, you know, if you would please meet one of the youth staff in the in the foyer, in the hall, that right. type thing. And so that and, and this, you know, it goes into all the different dynamics. I always say, you know, a lot of churches wonder why they don't have the executives in their church or they don't have the lawyers such as yourself. Or uh, the you know the political people and different things that are spiritually minded um, in their ministry, and it's a lot of times because we don't operate on the spirit of excellence, and so they they won't spend their time, they won't bring their kids to a place that's not well functioning, you know, especially if they're used to in corporate America functioning at a you know a certain level of excellence and everything, so. Um, again, you know, I'm glad you went that route because that's that's important. You know, yeah. the the thing is, the ideas and even the the vision that God gives us are excellent, and they need to happen. It's our responsibility to make sure that we do them well, and the way we do them well is to make sure that we're knowledgeable of what's required. And so, when your pastor comes and say, "Hey, I want to do this," okay, pastor, that's great. Let me research and see what all we need to have. Right. I could say I'm going to have a concert across the street from the office right now and then go out there. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that I want to get out there with a microphone and pray for the community. It's great. But did I contact the city to see if there was a sound ordinance? Did exactly. I get the proper license? You know, when exactly. I, when I want to have a, a tent revival, that's great. But did you go downtown and go to the you know city hall and all that good stuff and make sure that you had, you know, the certificates and the insurance and, like it is it back in the day that stuff wasn't important, but now it is. And this is the flip side to it. A lot of times the church look at it at, as if it's to hinder them from doing what they need to do. No. But I bet to differ because simply because they require you to have insurance, they require you to have the city, you know, the ordinance, the sound ordinance and stuff, it protects you from being targeted against hate crime. People that have an issue with, you know, the religious matters of things mm-hmm. or people that's like well i don't want to hear that hey they they got the rights they got the permissions to be out here and pray this is that and the third there's nothing that they can do but when we look at the government or we look at the different things that are in place as far as the law 
that governs how we do what we need and want to do, then I think we sell ourselves short at that point in time and everything. So, something uh, is so simple as I, you know, I, I worked with a, a ministry um, when I was in New Jersey, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we had a, a number of late night services, mm-hmm. and you know, after a certain time, no parking on the street at this point of time. Now, this is New mm-hmm. Jersey. You know, there's 10 million people in just northern New Jersey, let alone the rest of it. Lord have mercy. You're going to get a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's things like that you have to think about and yeah. plan accordingly. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah, a- absolutely, man. And, and that's the thing. And I, and I say it all the time. A lot of times, especially our culture, just being honest, yeah. we look at um, the matters of discipline preventing us and it, it strips us of freedom but in all naturality applying discipline and having structure and order really it actually frees us up to actually accomplish what we need to accomplish it and, and accomplish it a lot you know a lot better and stuff um let's go ahead and hit bylaws man um, yeah let's do it. you know let's let's do that i, I was actually in <laughs> illinois and it was traveling, you know, of course you have protection and stuff like that. My wife sent the text. She said, you know you can't have that, right? I said, mm-hmm. what you mean? You know, I got my license from my, you know, my repeat re, uh what is it? Uh the, the states and stuff like that. And so uh, then I typed it in. I was like, oh, you know, you, you gotta move a little I different in Illinois. Yeah, you know, stuff like that, and so, um, and then you know, I had got to the the venue where we were having it. You seen all the signs, no, you know, no protect, no guns and stuff, and everything. And so, uh, I took a note down because I was like, okay, how many people know that? Like, how many really, you know, ministry leaders or uh, security personnel or staff members do the research before their man or woman of God travels? and goes to mm-hmm. a, a, a specific place. You know, uh, one of my previous ministries um, I was a part of, one thing that we had to do was recons. Uh, mm-hmm. Before the pastor went, before the team, the ministry team got there, there was at least one armor bearer and one security team that did a recon to un- understand the layout of the building. Sure. I used to do it as a musician to understand where were all the doors and stuff mm-hmm. because though it may not have happened to you, it has happened. And it happens. And it does. You have people that comes in and, you know, they attack churches and rob churches or whatever the case may be. And so we can't be nonchalant to those things. Um, do we need to be in fear? Most definitely not. But you need to be aware of how to handle situations and stuff like that. And so that's one of the key points that we definitely desire to have um, a at least a couple of classes on when it comes to the matters of ministry security and stuff. And so when it comes to security teams, of course, uh, pastors, ministry leaders, you need to talk to an attorney to make sure that your 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 staff and your security is operating within the guidelines and parameters of your state. And yeah. then they need to know how to operate or how to maneuver and adjust when you're traveling across state lines and stuff. Um, how to even, you know, respect the bylaws that are put in place at different churches, even if it's in the same state. Mm-hmm. You can't go and cross their threshold into their facility and say, oh, I'm going to operate this way because this is how I do it. It don't right. work like that. Uh, bylaws, the uh, charters, the governance, and all that stuff, that's there for a reason. And so when it talks about bylaws, you know, let, let's start from the basic. 
You ain't got to be nothing long, but the basic, why are they bylaws? What do they do for the ministry and what do they do for the parishioners? So bylaws and, and so in the church space or ministry and clergy space, we use covenants, charters, bylaws interchangeably. And that's fine mm -hmm. because they, they're, they're functionally the same thing. Yes, sir. The purpose of them is kind of what we discussed earlier, is to give the layout of the land. It tells you how to operate the ministry. It tells you how to, how to handle the funding. Mm -hmm. If you're going to expand the church, if you're going to do new builds, it covers a wide range of things. Um, one of the things that's that's most that, that that has come up recently is how to address certain cultural norms now. Okay, right. And that, and that is to be addressed in the bylaws mm -hmm. because the reality is if you have outdated bylaws and a group or a couple comes to you and they request for you to marry them and you deny them, you're now infringing on their God-given right. Yep. <laughs> as it relates to the law, God-given right. Yep. So that's a sensitive topic. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it's the truth. Yeah. But it's the truth. And, and yeah. I, I've seen it happen all too often in our practice where individual ministries, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe it. Okay, well, listen, if, if you don't believe in that, that's your prerogative. You, mm -hmm. have the, you have the individual right to not believe in certain things that the law says. However, you still have to follow those laws mm -hmm. unless you meet an exception. And there are religious exceptions to many aspects of the, the cultural norms of today. But the way that you're able to protect your congregation and yourself from liability is you have to spell it out in your bylaws. Right. That's, right. that's the function of it. Bylaws, covenants, tenants, um, charters, whatever you call it. If your mm -hmm. ministry hasn't had their bylaws and all the other adjectives for it, is that the right? Yeah. No, yeah. synonyms. They're the synonyms. Synonyms. <laughs> Um, Adjectives gonna give us the description of it. <laughs> right, right, right. If if your bylaws haven't been updated within the last ten years, you need to have them updated because I can okay. almost guarantee you, you're probably out of compliance. Okay, especially when you're referring to northern states, more more liberal states. Yeah, you want to get those bylaws updated. Okay. That, that was going to be my question. How often do you think that the bylaws need to be either reviewed and or updated? So you my say answer to that is, and it's not every 10 years. My answer to that is every every presidential administration change because every president gotcha. in, and they right. do something, they, they implement new laws, they X out old laws. I mean, we, <laughs> over the last presidential administration, we've seen a number of changes yeah in our yeah. in our laws and rules and even prior to that that administration we've saw a, a historical laws passed mm -hmm. so those are your common events that i would say it's time for you to update your bylaws 
Gotcha. That's I, I appreciate that because uh, never would have thought and and would have never really associated with the presidential you know change of administration and everything. But th- I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Because you and so would you do it pretty much once they have gained access to the office at that point because they've already shared what they're going to implement and all that good stuff. And so, okay, gotcha. Right. I would say within that that first year. No longer than year two, because the first year they they usually spent cleaning up the mess or what they may yeah. perceive as mess of the former administration. So by year two, they're pretty right. much starting to implement their new processes. So good deal, good to know, good to know. Uh, again, if you're in the online, definitely consider sending your questions in. I'm surprised um, we don't have any questions from anybody. Uh, I, I am very surprised too. We got a couple of good comments and everything said that the information is by. Um, yeah, we appreciate the comment. Yeah, but if you have questions, go ahead. That's what we're here for, um, and everything. So we 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 touch ministry, clergy, business, nonprofits, five hundred one, uh, entrepreneurship in a sense, contracts, negotiations, drafting, uh, compliance matters, and all that good stuff. And then we got crisis management. Uh, crisis management, I think the first encounter I had with that man was when I got to the private Christian school in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. There was a situation where um, I think a uh, somebody, was, they, they were looking for somebody. Um, and so we automatically implemented that contingency plan and everything. And so the reason why that is important, because at the notification at, at the point of receiving notification from the police and the law enforcement that's not the time to say okay we didn't have a meeting to discuss how we're going to disperse the students right. that had to be there from day one mm-hmm. of starting the school because right. you never know when tragedy if any tragedy would hit and so um upon that we had the rally point uh, there was a, a, a PDF document that was already accessible on the shared drive or Google Drive, as people call it. And so that was to automatically be obtained, uh, downloaded, and then implemented right then and there. And so that's the importance, again, I say in regards to the matters of accountability, SOPs, and stuff, mm-hmm. because if that wasn't in place, then we would not have been able to disperse the students in a safe, in timely manner and getting them reunited with their kids, I mean, their their parents, if that wasn't in place. And so you have ministries and stuff that don't have crisis management in place, uh, where whether there's, you know, an active shooter or um, a person that may have, you know, entered the building that's irate, that shouldn't, you know, um, you know, it's just different things. You, you never know what to, you know, of course we know about, I think it was the jersey with the pastor that came, you know, that was, robbed by the gentleman and stuff with his jury. Uh, New York. You know, all, all New York. Thank you. And so, you know, you have you have situations like that. And so you don't want to be uh reactive. You don't want to react to situations like that and say, oh, you know, this happened. So now we need to have a meeting to see what we're gonna do when that happens. No, let's be proactive when it comes to that. So that ties into again, you know, security measures and stuff like that. Um and everything. So let's do, um, let's go ahead and compliance, compliance matters. Uh, well, actually, we already did that. 
Well, but there is something I want to touch on that. Uh, before I touch okay, on that, ahead, I see sure. that says, are we talking about the U.S. president, the change in, in administration? Yes, I'm referring to the US, United States president. When the United States president see changes, that's a good time for churches and ministry or religious organizations to take a look at their bylaws and make sure that they're now in compliance with new enacting enacted laws or can get a, a head start on laws that are probably coming down the pipeline. So, yes, we're referring to the United States president and that change. Um, but in regards to crisis management and compliance. Right. So oftentimes we we don't look at crisis management as or we may we may look at it differently now. Uh, we think about the first thing that comes to mind is what you mentioned, you know, active shooter or something like yes, that. Sir. Yes, those, th those things happen. But crisis mm -hmm. management can also be what happens when somebody kid gets lost in the church. That's crisis. What That's what cool. happens? What happens when someone comes to the church and they're dealing with some demonic presences, and mm -hmm. now we have to pray that thing out. That could be crisis because if you yes, have this, they're not used to that type of deliverance ministry. You need to be able to have people in place that can mm -hmm. protect the individual that's getting delivered and those individuals around them um, that are witnessing the deliverance. That's right. That's yes, sir. Absolutely. What happens when we have a fire? That's crisis management. What happens if the lights go out? Crisis management or a tornado yeah. or flooding. Those are right. crisis management and those are plans and and processes that you need to have in place to know how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure that we broaden that thought as to what crisis management is. And that's something that not only encompasses um, individuals to operate the crisis, but those managers, and those leaders in the church to kind of sit down and tailor plans. Some of those plans may need an attorney involved. Some of them may not. Um, but yes, it is something that you need to sit down with your ministry team and really plan it out and think about any possible scenario. The only reason why I say talk with a lawyer is because our minds are naturally wired to identify liability and find solutions. Yep. Yes, sir. Absolutely. With the crisis management, man, um, that, that I'm glad you shared that because simply, you know, you walk into many facilities and there's no um, uh, weather plans, uh, whether right. it's tornado, like you said, fire, escape. Um, you don't even have a key or a map. You know, right. that's that's essential. Uh, one of my ministries that I was a part of that. That was look, that was they was like, hey, we need you to create this, you know. Um, so we hopped in the the home 3D and the architect, you know, software and built out the church so we can do that. But this was the thing. It opened up the doors for us to utilize it for other things. And we had our community festivals and it was different aspects of the building that were utilized by, you know, Red Cross or um, uh, substance abuse places and stuff like that. I was able to go right there, pull the file that we had created and then map out exactly where people were going to be positioned in the building and outside. And right. so, you know, we, you know, we talk about, you don't want to leave any stone unturned. Those things make ministry planning and events a lot easier and stuff. So uh, crisis management definitely got to, I got to include that in the summit, man. Yeah, man. 
Happy, happy to help. <laughs> Definitely got to create, uh, create that. I'm going to try and share my screen really, really quick, simply because I did not put it on our discussion. And I think that's where we're going to end it at. Then we'll probably uh, sit for about five minutes because we're pushing that an hour and a half, man. And I know you got things to do. Uh, And so, um, again, if you desire information about uh, Smith Attorneys Group, T. Smith, SAG Law, www.saglawpc.com, okay? Um, I want to talk about the matters of estate planning. Yeah. Why? Simply because there was, uh, during COVID, uh, I was planning the summit, and it was going to, it's entitled, and it's still coming, um, Life Beyond the Office. Mm -hmm. And so as creatives, as entrepreneurs, we can be so consumed with the day-to-day operation of the office and what we do that we neglect the fact and the matters of family. And so what I mean about family, that's life insurance, that's estate planning, wills and trust, uh, business succession planning, as he has, special needs trust, domestic asset, uh, asset protection trust, all of these different things. I can not count how many musicians and friends and acquaintances and associates that have, you know, experienced one of these or even the matters of what I always talk about to make sure that your your um, equipment is covered. And that can't happen really until you form your business and have your articles is that their gear has been stolen. Yeah. And so because they didn't have it listed as articles or, or as an article, um, and because it at a certain number, if I'm, if I stay correct, um, it can't be listed as upon your your regular house insurance, uh, homeowners insurance, or rentals insurance. It actually has to be established as an article, uh, especially if it, if you're going to have it traveling from to and fro locations. If you have backlining when you're renting out gear and stuff, all of that has to you know really operate and flow differently. And there, mm-hmm. so I wanted to talk about estate planning because for one, a lot of people don't have wills. Right. You know, uh, when when life or tragedy hits, a lot of times I would probably say maybe 60, 70 percent or even more are then trying to figure out what to do. Right. And so instead of really being able to initiate or begin to uh, go through the grieving process, they're actually experiencing some things that would um, that could have been prevented if they had a plan initially and stuff. And so um, for entrepreneurs, for um, creatives, definitely this is something that you want to look at. Uh, this is something that I, this year, uh, I'm really going to you know begin to talk with T about because I understand the importance of it and everything. So uh, of course, you know, estate planning, uh, when it comes to will, healthcare, directives, uh, financial power of attorney, Final arrangements, asset lists, executor instructions, instructions, um, all of those different things. So if you want to, T, if you want, you know, you can tell me how to navigate through here. Um, doesn't have to be anything really in depth. Just kind of want to give them an understanding of like these things are important as well, even from the matters of a church to a pastor to make sure right. that a pastor has this in place, uh, especially, you know, what 
really caught my attention was the business succession planning. Right. What happens if I leave? What happens to the business? You know, that type thing. So the floor is yours, man. Yeah, man. And I don't know if you have that that um, flyer that I sent you. It had a breakdown of oh. our estate plan on one side and our trust on the other side. And the yes, only sir. reason why I want to show that is because some people have the misnomer that, oh, estate plans are expensive or I don't really have anything. I don't need to. Um, create an estate plan, it'll pass to my spouse or or my kids will get it or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and that's just an all out falsehood in a lot of cases. Um, you mentioned the number of individuals who don't have an estate plan. And from a United States perspective, 78% of Americans do not have an estate plan in place. They don't even have a basic will. 78% of Americans. So that's across all the cultures, all the melting pot of America, 78%. I dare say that number is closer or exceeds 95% for African-Americans. I dare say. Wow. I have yet um, to come across, especially a ministry leader. I've yet to come across a ministry leader who had a proper estate plan in place and secession plan. Yet, in all the wow. years that I practice, have not come across a, a pastor that we've represented or a ministry leader we represented that had both an estate plan and a business secession plan and a ministry secession plan. And just some of the things that people, go ahead. No, I said interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting that file now. I'm downloading awesome. it now so I can, we can show it. Sure thing, sure thing. But some of the things that, that, that people have a misunderstanding about is, um, oh, if I, if I die, um, my family or they know what I want them to do. The first yeah. thing that almost happens every time <laughs> you die every time yeah. is somebody else is going to say, well, they said I could have the house or I can get Big Mama's house. Yeah. Or, or, or Big Mama's mink coat. She said back in '95. <laughs> the only way that you're going to guarantee, or at least have a substantive guarantee, that what your desires are are going to be honored from the grave, <laughs> is if you have an estate plan in place. Yes, sir. And, and the things that people don't think about is, let's say you had kids before you got married and then you got married and you and your current spouse don't have any kids and then you die. Well, guess what? Right. Your kids outside of your marriage are going to be entitled to your estate before your marital spouse is. That's right. Yep. And that's Absolutely. something that people don't think about. And, and what I mean by that is in certain, in certain States, the unmarital child is entitled to the first $150,000 of the estate plus one or two thirds of the, of the probatable estate. Wow. Perfect. That's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. So that's something that people don't take into consideration. Now, something that also happens that's pretty historical in the African-American community is, and, 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 I, and my family's guilty of this. So I'm not just talking about everybody else's people. I'm talking about my people too. 
My people well, too. <laughs> the, the, my right. dad's parents weren't actually married for the time that they said they were married until somebody died. <laughs> Listen. So, so now we learn that really all of those years that we thought they were married, they weren't. Yeah. That's a that, that creates a whirlwind of problems because now yeah. you're unmarried and you've been acting married, or as we like to say in the church, shacking up. Yeah. You've been shacking up all these years and you yeah. require assets together, and then one spouse dies, that remaining spouse may not even be entitled to that house. Wow. Let's take it a step further. Let's say that you you die or somebody passes and they're not married. They only have children and the child or the, the, the child is an adult child now. And they kind of live with the parent their entire life. Uh, now the, the, the house is in the parent's name. The parent has died. The child still resides there. And then you get a knock at the door and somebody's telling you, oh, you have to move out because I own this house now. Right, right. And you're like, oh no, no, this is my mama. This is my mama house for 45 years, and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, it was until she died. Right. And if you don't have an estate plan in place that says, when I die, one, two, three, ABC Drive goes to Mike. Mm -hmm. You're out of luck. Right. <laughs> you're out of luck right. because now, effectively, that property doesn't have an owner. And could be susceptible to a governmental clawback. That's something mm -hmm. else that people don't understand. When you die without an estate plan, that gives creditors and the government an opportunity to lean against your estate and take it. Mm -hmm. So we think about all of the mishaps that have happened to African Americans across this country uh, right. and things being take took from us historically. Some of that was legally done. Why? Because yeah. we didn't take the steps to put yep. protections in place. Something as simple as a $375 wheel. Mm -hmm. That's cheaper than most pairs of Jordans. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, that's some of our eating out bill for the month. Listen, you haven't, you haven't met my wife yet, but, <laughs> but when you do, I can tell you. <laughs> Like to eat. <laughs> we, we like to eat, okay? The thing is, my firm purposefully put our base estate plan at a rate that we thought was affordable for the majority of individuals. That's right. Because we understand, especially we started this program um, during COVID when historical numbers of individuals were dying left That's and right. And the courts were backed up. Courts were not even accessible. We couldn't even appear in court. So imagine someone in your family passes and you need to get access to their bank account in order to bury them. Yeah. Yep. And you can't even a court order because the courts were shut down or they were mm -hmm. shut down during COVID. And in fact, cases that I filed in 2019 for a state plan for, for probate matters still haven't been called to today. Yeah. This can all be avoided with a, yeah. at least a basic estate plan. And if you're married and have kids 
or you're a career person and you're you're making a, a, a nice salary. And when I say a nice salary, uh, we're, you're making 30,000 or more. You need to trust. You need to trust. There's no way around it. You need to trust. Gotcha. Um, I'm happy to to give more information about basic estate planning and wills and trusts. Uh, this flyer yeah. gives you all the services that we provide in that area. Uh, and it, it's a needed it's a needed thing. I would if you, if you take nothing away from what I've said tonight, please take this away. Get your Absolutely. estate plan because it is a, such a needed tool and it is a very accessible tool. Would you would you permit me that, those flyers? I could share those, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, cool. And so, what I'll d definitely once we get off here and I get settled, um, I'll be sure to to share these on the ABM and under that section and everything. This live is gonna uh, more than likely stay up for a good bit, um, and then you know next month we'll be back with another individual. But I think for tonight we've been with an hour and a half, a little bit over an hour and a half. I think we've covered good, a good bit of information, and we pray that uh, it has been, um, I guess you would say, received <laughs> and, uh, and, and take value in it. I, I know I've learned even the more. Every time I talk with T, there's always something that I'm gaining nuggets from or identifying areas that I need to fix, you know, my own self personally and everything. So, um, again, we're going to – probably about a minute just see if we have any questions to kind of come in here on the line and or the matters of incumbents. I don't see any right now as of yet. But um, if you didn't know, uh, towards the last quarter of this year, uh, we'll, we'll resume our ABM Summit. And so Mr. T would definitely be one of those facilitators because the information, uh, the resource, and the person of value that he is is much needed. Um, uh, so pastors, ministry leaders, and all that good stuff and everything, we definitely want to um, actually get you before T so that you can actually be able to um, – trying to find that flyer really quick – Which one was it on, T? I'm sorry. What was that now? The uh, your your contact information. I see it on the bottom of the small one. And I, uh, I I don't see it. Let's see. <laughs> do you have do you have it accessible where you can copy it, paste it in chat? Uh, let me see. You're looking for the contact information. Flyer. Yes. Yes. Social media. Yeah. Let's see. Nope. I don't. <laughs> okay. I thought I thought I'd say that. I see the, you know, the content at the very bottom, which is saglogpc.com. So I'll show that right now. And then. Of course, uh, you can find them on Instagram at Saglaw PC, and I'm going to post all of this once we get off and pin it as well. And then you can email at info at saglawpc.com. So, so my thing is, if you search Saglaw PC and all that good you, stuff, you, you'll definitely see 
Uh, hold on real quick. I think I, yep, there we go. Let's go ahead and run this while we wait and see if they have any questions. So you can text your questions, 270-569-2949. You can comment them in the below as well. And then here's T's information for the social media handles, personal IG and the firm IG. Yeah, disappeared on me. There we go. Okay. Sagalaw, PC. Perfect. And all that good stuff. So if you if you Google Sagalaw PC, it's gonna point you to the direction of T Smith, Attorney T Smith and everything. So again, if we don't have any questions, we're going to go ahead and um, hop off. I thank you all for joining in. And if, again, if you have any questions, be sure to contact T. He will be able to assist you, schedule that consultation with him. There we and, go. Uh, I, I guarantee y'all, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Um, I have a client that's watching tonight that we got to have a conversation because we were just talking about what was the next stages beyond the logo and the brand they talking about the non-profit and how to structure things so um, yeah. you said somebody on that that we got to have a conversation about this week <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so i know she's excited about that so again brother i appreciate it man um i would definitely be in contact with you and you will all will see t again towards the last quarter of this year when we have our summit which is information is definitely forthcoming and so we we look forward to seeing you all next month in our next session Awesome. All right, I appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Y'all have a great one. Yes, sir.